Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. This week we're beginning an encore presentation of Dr. Newfeld's Heaven series, and we'll begin this week with a message entitled The Reality of Death. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Over the next two weeks, I will be doing a series on the subject of heaven. And no, this will not be a series on a vision that I had of heaven when I went there, or how my heart stopped at some point in time and I was dead for 13 minutes and I came back to tell you my experiences. I, for my part, find such accounts to be anything but convincing and am constantly surprised at how often even Christian people place so much emphasis on these subjective experiences rather than grounding themselves in the Word. Wow, I've hardly started and I've already alienated some of you. Well, I hope not. But think about it. The Bible, the inerrant, authoritative Word of God, has so much to say about heaven. So why are we fascinated with errant, subjective, and speculative accounts? So if you want the account of someone who died and came back, let me suggest you discard your latest paperback on the issue and concentrate on Jesus, who really was dead for three days and rose from the dead. Furthermore, we have an account of heaven from our Bible that is fascinating. But before I begin with the details of heaven, and by the way, if we are going to speak of heaven, we will also have to speak of hell. But before I go into even that, I wish to speak about the reality of death. So unless Christ returns during our lifetime, and let me hasten to add, none of us knows if he will return during our lifetime, but unless that happens, the only doorway through to heaven will be through your own death. Furthermore, because some of us think the subject of heaven is futuristic, filled with speculation, and not necessarily relevant, I feel the need to force the matter upon our consciousness. You are going to die. See, there are two fixed points in all of our lives, birth and death. Years ago, author Joe Bailey wrote the following words. In this day of scientific breakthrough and exploding knowledge, death especially frustrates us. An electroencephalogram may replace a mirror held before the mouth. Autopsies may become more sophisticated. Cosmetic embalming may take the place of pennies on the eyelids and canvas shrouds. But death continues to confront us with its black wall. Everything else seems to change, but death is changeless. We may postpone it, we may tame its violence, but death is still there waiting for us. Death always waits. The door of the hearse is never closed. Dairy farmer and sales executive live in death's shadow, along with Nobel Prize winner and prostitute, mother, infant, teen, and old man. The hearse stands waiting for the surgeon who transplants a heart, as well as the hopeful recipient for the funeral director, as well as the corpse he manipulates. Death spares no one. I know this subject may seem uncomfortable to some. I've occasionally met people in their 80s who tell me they've never thought about death, not even once. And now in their old age, they they still don't. Even though they must surely know that they will face death very soon, they never give it a moment's thought. Some even argue that's a preferable way to think about life. See, on the other hand, there are others, and I'm among them, who think about death every single day. I think of Richard Baxter, the English Puritan preacher who in the 1600s wrote, I preached as never to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. I think of Jonathan Edwards in his list of resolutions, which he read to himself every day. They were for him stable anchor points that were to direct his amazing life. 
and one of them included these words, resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. He believed this daily thinking about death would bring focus to his life. Well, you might guess that today's broadcast might be just a bit morbid, but I don't think of it that way. Indeed, I want to take you to Psalm 90, which will teach us to think often about death and how to think properly about death. Psalm 90 is the only psalm that was written by Moses. Of course, it's not the only poetry that was written by Moses. The Bible contains three other lengthy poems by this remarkable man. The first was written after Israel was delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea. And on that occasion, Moses wrote a song that all Israel sang, and we find it in Exodus 15. It begins, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Moses also wrote another poem, again a song to be sung, just before he climbed up Mount Nebo where he was to die. That one begins, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And then finally, just before his death, he utters a rather long blessing upon God's people, also in the form of poetry. So it seems that Moses wrote poetry at some very significant moments of his life, both in his own life and in the life of Israel. That has led many Bible teachers to wonder at what significant moment Moses might have written Psalm 90. Some have suggested that Numbers 13 and 14 is the background. That's the account of what happened at Kadesh Barnea, where Israel refused to enter the promised land because of fear of the strength of their enemies and because of lack of faith in God. And in consequence of this failure, an entire generation was condemned to wander about in a hostile desert for 40 years until that whole generation died. Over the next 40 years, Moses watched 2 million people die in the desert, kind of like the world's longest funeral march. He would have witnessed 50,000 funerals every year, over 100 a day. No wonder he thought so much about death and the brevity of life. You know, others suggest he wrote this psalm coinciding with the events in Numbers 20 after the death of Miriam, his sister. Then came his own sin, and in consequence, God forbade him from entering the promised land, meaning he would die along with the other two million, and then came the death of his brother Aaron. But whatever the occasion for the writing of Psalm 90, one matter remains clear. Moses lived in the valley of the shadow of death. And so the man who wrote this poem, the man who told us that life is so short, had seen his fair share of deaths. What is remarkable about this poem is that, as the Bible teacher C.H. Leopold observes, there does not appear to be any trace of bitterness or undue pessimism about death. Just plain, realistic thinking mark these words. That really is amazing. Moses is not shaking his fist at death or shaking in fear and desperation before death. He's merely taking into account that which is plain to anyone who takes time to notice. We're all dying. The point I'm trying to make is that whether we want to think about it or not, death is always present. Roughly 150,000 people die every day on this planet. That would be the population of Sherbrooke, Quebec, dying every day. That means every week, a city the size of Calgary dies. Every year, many more people than the population of Canada die. Indeed, another two-thirds larger than the population of Canada will die every year. Some 55 million people die every single year, meaning the population of a little short of the UK die every year. And people will mourn, and many will wail, and many will be crushed in anguish. The cries of despair and defeat that rise from this planet every year are almost deafening. I'm amazed that some never think about it. 
How blind can we be to the greatest event on earth? And as we study this psalm, I want us to learn something about death and our response to it. Let's begin with Psalm 91 to 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Now, from this psalm, I want us to notice how it is that Moses saw the reality of the human condition. He saw that God is eternal, and we are momentary. We will notice that in verse 2, Moses describes God as being from everlasting to everlasting. He means that if you go backwards into time past, you will never find a time when God was not there. But if you go forward into an infinite future, there also you will never find a time when God is not there. He is the everlasting God. And then contrast that with our existence. The first word that comes to mind is the word dust. Now, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and there in chapter 2, he describes man as created from the dust of the ground. Here he speaks of returning to it. The cycle is complete. And if you look backwards into a time long past, you will find that you, unlike God, were not there. And if you project just a few years into the future, you will see that you also are not there. We're reminded of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Or listen to James 1 verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Or think of Jesus in his parable in Luke 12, in which he says of the man who is planning to build bigger barns and taking on massive projects, the word was, this night your soul is required of you when we least expect it. And when we come back, We'll talk of living life well in the light of the reality of death. Few series have stimulated as much response from our listeners as Dr. John Newfeld's Heaven series. Offering a biblical perspective on heaven, both our eyes and hearts are open to an amazing picture of what the follower of Jesus has to look forward to. When we last aired this series, we also offered the Heaven Booklet authored by Randy Alcorn. Again, a wonderful overview of the promise of paradise. This booklet was so popular, we were unable to fulfill all the requests. But with the re-airing of the series by Dr. John, we've been able to acquire a very limited number of booklets to give away. So let me encourage you today to call and request your free copy of the booklet, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, While Quantities Last. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or ask by email at info at backtothebible.ca. When Moses mentions the significance of time, he mentions that a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Some have suggested that when he speaks of 1,000 years, because as Moses himself recorded it, the longest lifespan of any man was Methuselah. His lifespan, which seems incredibly long, lasted 969 years, just short of 1,000. Now, to us, that seems incredible. I sometimes imagine if I had 969 years, I'd hardly be beginning my life. What a long lifespan would yet lay before me. 
And yet Methuselah himself is not remembered for anything other than he lived 969 years. What he did, what he loved, what he hated, what he accomplished, where he went, and what he succeeded in and what he failed in has been swept away like dust, and it is no more. Even that long life has been forgotten. In God's sight, his life was like a watch in the night, which would typically last for about three hours. Against the eternal perspective, even if we were to live a long time, it would fly away. It's only a small amount of time. In verses 5 to 6, Moses then gives three illustrations, three images that might help us picture this. Let's read them. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Did you notice the three images? The first is being swept away by a flood. And you can imagine perhaps a sudden flash flood through a desert. All in its path is suddenly gone. The second image is that of a dream. It's so vivid when it is experienced, but when the morning comes, within less than an hour, most dreams are long forgotten. The third is the image of grass in harsh desert conditions. If it receives rain, it can bloom in the morning and be brown and withered at sunset. You know, I've often talked with elderly people on their birthday. They will tell me two things. First, they're amazed that they lived so long. And second, they are amazed at how quickly the time has gone. They all say life is short. I mean, that's the universal testimony of the elderly. And so Moses saw that God was eternal, but that we are a moment. And then he also saw it's possible to take comfort in that. See, what's fascinating to me is not just the contrast that Moses gives us between God's eternal being and our momentary existence, but rather how he responds to this. Look again at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all our generations. Imagine Moses as the man who has no dwelling place, no place to call home. He has left Egypt with two million people. If you you read Numbers chapter 33, you'll find a chapter in which is recorded all Israel's campsites on the way to the promised land. We find that between Ramesses in Egypt and the plains of Moab on the edge of the promised land, there were 40 different camps. 40 places where they lived. In other words, in 40 years, they moved 40 times. You know, if you moved 40 times in 40 years, I'll bet you'd have some difficulty calling any place home. But Moses said, God has been my home. The one constant in an ever-changing world has been him. He never changes. His promises never fail. My environment changes. My job changes. People close to me die. But God is the ever constant. He is my dwelling place. So while it is true that we're momentary, the eternal nature of God is a great comfort. But Moses now gets back to the theme of death. What he says next may surprise us. Let's read verses 7 to 9. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. We might have expected something a little more encouraging than this. For instance, why not say the hard things were possible because God has been my dwelling place or something like that. Instead of that, Moses argues that God is angry with us and is putting all of us to death. Now, please understand why Moses speaks this way. That was his experience. The generation that sinned against God in Kadesh Barnea was condemned by God to die in that desolate, howling wasteland in the Sinai Peninsula. Their children would see the promised land, but they who had sinned were condemned to die there. But in truth, I don't think Moses was referring to that. 
In Genesis 3, Moses traced death to the sin of Adam. God told him that the day he ate of the fruit, the day he defied God's command, would be the day he would die. And so he did, and so did all his descendants. Moses was completely aware that sin causes death. So for him, what happened at Kadesh Barnea was merely a further extension of Adamic sin. Now, you will notice, however, that he does more than simply repeat a theological theme. Death reigns from Adam onward. He makes it personal. Verse 8 speaks about secret sins, and and verse 9 speaks about God's response in wrath and how it always ends for all of us with a sigh. The cause of death is, yes, the sin of Adam, but the cause of death is also God's response to our personal sins. So how does God deal with the human race when it sins? He causes every single person who sins to die. We're all like prisoners on death row, awaiting the day when our sentence is justly carried out. So to the thought that God is eternal and we are momentary, Moses adds this truth about our momentary lies. We die because of sin and wrath. God is the one who has imposed the death sentence on all the sons and daughters of Adam. I need to stop here and add a second thought. Since New Testament believers know that that Christ died for us, that he bore the wrath of the Father in his own body, why then do Christians die? Do we also die because of sin and wrath? And if we do, what does that say about what Christ has accomplished on his cross? And if we don't, why do we often suffer and die just like anyone else? What can be the answer to that conundrum? Well, the answer is that Christ tasted death for us, and yet we do die. We die not because of sin, but in order to identify with Christ when we die. God graciously allows us as believers a union with Christ even in his death. Now, I'm going to address that subject in another message on this series. But those who have no claim to Christ, well, they die because of God's anger for their sins. Now, having considered this, Moses adds a further thought. In verse 10, he says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They soon are gone, and we fly away. And so, says Moses, you won't avoid toil and trouble. And you won't avoid flying away when your time comes. You know, the news in Canada and in the U.S. is this. In these two countries, the mortality rate stands, yep, at 100%. And that truth leads Moses to ask a question. Verse 11 says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So let's remember what it is that we're considering. Here is the question. How powerful is God's anger? And here's the answer. It's so powerful that he puts 55 million people to death every year in our contemporary world and will eventually put to death every single one of the 7 billion human beings that populate this planet. God is planning the death of 7 billion people. You think about that. Let's ask the question again. Who considers this? Here's what's so fascinating. I hear people all the time, even non-religious people, talk about God or the, or the higher power or the spiritual reality that pervades all things. This is altogether affirming, they say, of who I am. He simply wants me to be true to myself, and that's the myth. But now consider this reality. God is putting every single human being to death. And even if you can't get your head around that, then consider at least this lesser truth. 
everyone is dying, and God, without exception, is not stopping anyone's death. And, says Moses, the reason this is going on is because of our sin. So who who takes sin seriously and who takes God seriously? You know, over the next two weeks, we're going to consider the topic that is more important than any other topic for the human race, and that's heaven. For unless there is a heaven, then the tragedy of life is more than we can bear. I pray that you contemplate and recontemplate not only your own death, but what eventually follows after your death. John, uh, we're, we're replaying this series because it was one of the most popular and well-listened-to series that you've done over the last two years. But I think there was one reason for that, despite the great teaching that takes place, is uh, people's interest in heaven. Because it seems like so many of us, even Christians that have walked with the Lord for such a long time, have an ill-conceived idea of what biblical heaven is all about. Ben, I'm still sometimes surprised to hear myself in a conversation with some people, and they'll say, you know what, I, I, I never knew that our resurrection is going to be a bodily resurrection and that it's going to be patterned after the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's this new reality they sometimes are confronted with, and, and this sometimes with people who have read the Bible a lot of their lives, and I think this is the reason. Uh, Some of us have been more influenced by Greek views of life after death, in which the body is viewed as the prison house of the soul, rather than the biblical view in which God will redeem all things, including the body. So I think that's one of the reasons why we've got heaven all wrong. We, We view it in this immaterial sense rather than the way in which the Bible gives it to us. And even as Christians, sometimes I think we can be discouraged because our perspective is, and you've heard it before, you know, uh, standing with a whole bunch of people and all we do is singing worship songs all day. And that's their perspective. So they say, is that really something I want to do? <laughs> I can understand that because, again, you know, we've, we've heard some stories and maybe some of us have heard strange stories like, you know, playing golf for all of eternity and that kind of stuff. But when we actually get down to the biblical material, this is one of the most fascinating concepts that, that I've ever read in Scripture. So I'm looking forward to heaven. I guess the other question is how we think about and deal with death. And, you know, you mentioned Jonathan Edwards and his resolution to consider death each and every day. Is that something we should be doing? I think so. I think Christians need to consider the fact of death, not in a morbid sense, but recognizing that everything that I live here is to be lived for the glory of God, and I am anticipating the day in which Christ calls me home. Thanks so much, John. Join us again tomorrow for more of the Heaven Series right here on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Your gifts mean so much. It allows the Bible teaching ministries of Back to the Bible Canada to be heard every day across the country. Bible teaching relevant to the needs of God's people and faithful to His Word. In fact, that's what you're telling us. Joan wrote, We love the way John digs into the Scripture, explaining the Bible, what it meant for the day, making it relevant for today, and how it applies to our daily walk with God. Encouraging words that speak into the ministry's mission. So whether you listen on radio, podcast, audio mail, online, mobile app, or CD, your support makes it possible. Perhaps today you'd consider responding to the importance of Bible teaching by offering a practical gift to support this month. Perhaps a single gift or become a partner to tell monthly partner. It's easy and secure. 
just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.